Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today, we'll be reading Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 17, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjourn you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This is the word of the Lord. These verses describe one of those mysterious miracles which the Gospels frequently record, the casting out of a devil. Of all the cases of this kind in the New Testament, none is so fully described as this one. Of all the three evangelists who relate the history, none gives it so fully and minutely as Mark. We see in the first place in these verses that the possession of a man's body by the devil was a real and true thing in the time of our Lord's earthly ministry. It is a painful fact that there are never lacking professing Christians who try to explain away our Lord's miracles. They endeavor to account for them by natural causes and to show that they were not worked by any extraordinary power. Of all miracles, there are none which they assault so strenuously as the casting out of devils. They do not hesitate to deny satanic possession entirely. They tell us that it was nothing more than lunacy or frenzy or epilepsy, and that the idea of the devil inhabiting a man's body is absurd. The best and simplest answer to such skeptical objections is a reference to the plain narratives of the Gospels, and especially to the one before us at this moment. The facts here detailed are utterly inexplicable if we do not believe satanic possession. It is notorious that lunacy and frenzy and epilepsy are not infectious complaints, and at any rate cannot be communicated to a herd of swine. And yet men ask us to believe that as soon as this man was healed, 2,000 swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, 
from a sudden impulse without any apparent cause to account for their so doing. Such reasoning is the height of naivete. When men can satisfy themselves with such explanations, they are in a pitiable state of mind. Let us beware of a skeptical and incredulous spirit in all matters relating to the devil. No doubt there is much in the subject of satanic possession which we do not understand and cannot explain, but let us not therefore refuse to believe it. The eastern king who would not believe in the possibility of ice because he lived in a hot country and had never seen it, was not more foolish than the man who refuses to believe in satanic possession because he never saw a case of it himself and cannot understand it. We may be sure that upon the subject of the devil and his power, we are far more likely to believe too little than too much. Unbelief about the existence and personality of Satan has often proved the first step to unbelief about God. We see in the second place in these verses what an awfully cruel, powerful, and malicious being Satan is. On all these three points, the passage before us is full of instruction. The cruelty of Satan appears in the miserable condition of the unhappy man, of whose body he had possession. We read that he dwelt among the tombs, at no man could bind him, no not with chains, that no man could tame him, and that he was always night and day in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones, naked and without clothing. Such is the state to which the devil would bring us all if he only had the power. He would rejoice to inflict upon us the utmost misery, both of body and mind. Cases like this are faint types of the miseries of hell. The power of Satan appears in the dreadful words which the unclean spirit used when our Lord asked, What is your name? He answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. We probably have not the faintest idea of the number, subtlety, and activity of Satan's agents. We forget that he is a king over an enormous host of subordinate spirits who do his will. He would probably find, if our eyes were open to see spirits, that they are about our path and about our bed, and observing all our ways, to an extent of which we have no conception. In private and in public, in church and in the world, there are busy enemies ever near us, of those whose presence we are not aware. The malice of Satan appears in the strange petition, Send us into the pigs. Cast forth from the man whose body they had so long inhabited and possessed, they still thirsted to do mischief. Unable to injure any more immortal souls, they desired leave to injure the dumb beasts which were feeding nearby. Such is the true character of Satan. It is the bent of his nature to do harm, to kill, and to destroy. No wonder that he is called Apollyon, the destroyer. Let us beware of giving way to the senseless habit of jesting about the devil. It is a habit which furnishes dreadful evidence of the blindness and corruption of human nature, and one which is far too common. When it is acceptable for the condemned criminal to jest about his executioner, then, and not until then, will it be acceptable for mortal man to talk lightly about Satan. Well would it be for us all if we strove more to realize the power and presence of our great spiritual enemy and prayed more to be delivered from him. 
It was a true saying of an eminent Christian now gone to rest. No prayer is complete which does not contain a petition to be kept from the devil. We see in the last place from these verses how complete is our Lord's power and authority over the devil. We see it in the cry of the unclean spirit, I adjourn you by God, do not torment me. We see it in the command, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and the immediate obedience that followed. We see it in the blessed change that at once took place in him that was possessed. He was found sitting and clothed in his right mind. We see in the petition of all the devils, Send us into the pigs, confessing their consciousness that they could not do anything without leave. All these things show that one mightier than Satan was there. Strong as the great enemy of man was, he was in the presence of one stronger than he. Numerous as his host were, he was confronted with one who could command more than twelve legions of angels. Where the word of the king is, there is power. Ecclesiastes 8.4 The truth here taught is full of strong consolation for all true Christians. We live in a world full of difficulties and snares. We are ourselves weak and encompassed with infirmity. The dreadful thought that we have a mighty spiritual enemy ever near us, subtle, powerful, and malicious as Satan is, might well disquiet us and cast us down. But thanks be to God. We have in Jesus an almighty friend who is able to save us to the uttermost. He has already triumphed over Satan on the cross. He will ever triumph over him in the hearts of all believers and intercede for those whose faith does not fail. And he will finally triumph over Satan completely when he shall come forth at the second advent and bind him in the bottomless pit. And now, are we ourselves delivered from Satan's power? This, after all, is the grand question that concerns our souls. He still reigns and rules in the hearts of all who are children of disobedience. Ephesians 2.3 He is still a king over the ungodly. Have we, by grace, broken his bonds and escaped his hand? Have we really renounced him in all his works? Do we daily resist him and make him flee? Do we put on the whole armor of God and stand against his wiles? May we never rest until we can give satisfactory answers to these questions. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we've heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, do we believe that Satan is a real being, and that demonic possession, although hard to understand and explain, is a real thing in this world? Second, do we understand our need for and ask our God for the request Jesus calls us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Do we understand that we need to be delivered from him? And third, have we been set free from the devil's schemes by the power of the gospel? Do we daily resist the devil and make him flee like Peter tells us?